0: Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up on the Tuesday edition of Tailgate. How you feeling, man? Finally got the chain. Chain gang. Oh, dude, we're double chained up. I saw you on Good Morning Football this morning. Thank you. You wore the chain. Was that to one up me? Was yeah. that to one up me? It's because you wouldn't, because you didn't have it in you. Bigger balls than me. Bigger balls than me. Loved the uh, the segment where they asked you what the most shocking moment was, and you brought up the Larry Tunsil bong rip. <laughs> so I so a little backstory on that: how the sausage's made. <clears throat> they
1: asked me for one. They had like, they had them all themselves. They asked one. you like the
0: night before, right? Night
1: before, they all themselves had one. I say that I mean that was the most shocking moment when absolutely like right before the draft you see this video tweeted I'm literally on a show I was on the SI show that year and and I'm like going back and forth looking I'm like is this real what's going on where is he going to fall and then you know the OT one in that class a lot of people's OT one and then Stanley comes off the board Conklin comes off the board like where's it gonna stop that was the most shocking one but I send that to them they all had theirs already and then the producer comes back and said, oh, you know what? One of the guys forgot about that. He wants to do it now. And I'm like, wow, that's
0: brutal. They stole that from
1: you. They said one of the guys changed his, is what they said. So then I switched to uh, Aaron Rodgers' sponsor to so the Packers. So what's funny is you look me, at that but,
0: hit they put up like some b-roll while mm-hmm. you're t- t- telling the aaron Rodgers component <clears throat> it would have been way funnier if they put up the b-roll of the, the laramie tonsil bomb rent video but that's maybe good b-roll that would have been pretty quality b-roll some other things on the Catch Only buzz i want to shout out master gators that have reached out to me with a dm of a screenshot of a review love to see them so far please do it if you do do do, do that apple podcasts do. or spotify send me a screenshot of that review we are sending out free 2022 final nfl draft guide send it via twitter or ig my dms are open just make sure you include a screenshot of that review we also have our mailbag episodes coming up this week go to speakpipe.com tailgate to leave a voicemail that will play on the show or go to apple podcasts and in that same review drop a question there other highlights here on the catch and only buzz we brought up the guy in the aaron hernandez jersey on the last podcast that's how i'm gonna refer him to refer to him that, that, his name is Daniel Kelly Book on Twitter, who apparently writes for Jets Country Fan Nation yes. um, on, I think it's a Sports Illustrated subdomain. And he put out a mock draft two days ago. And we're going to go over Peter Schrager's mock draft today. But I think we have to go over this guy's mock draft first because it, be, it could be the most accurate to <laughs> <laughs> date. So go ahead.
1: Okay, so not to pile on this guy too much, but I don't know how this gets on SI.com. Like this is, this guy a very writes good for SI.com. They they have their fan site whatever that following the SB Nation bleach Report whatever business model. I'm guessing this guy doesn't get paid for this, but if he, he does, also shouldn't, shouldn't, get paid tra- <laughs> also shouldn't get paid for this? My God, let's just re- just read off some of these. Some of these that picks are incredible. Has. And so, this I mean, is like, it's almost worse that this isn't him predicting. This is what he thinks. He said, "Here's what he said. He said." I look at the first-round mock, not as what teams actually might do, but which prospects would move the meter the most for each organization. I so love. he thinks this moves the meter the
0: most. I love some of the descriptions he includes in it, too. Where, so his number one is Aiden Hutchinson going to the Jags, which we've all seen a relentless pass rusher. This guy's going right above the bar here. If he's not getting paid for it, I love his technique. Number two, Detroit Lions go Malik Willis. Three, Matt Corral of Ole Miss goes to Houston Texans. That's a crazy one. N'Kobe Dean at five, I think is wild. Tyler Linderbaum at six, we have not seen. And his, his details for Tyler Linderbaum at six is just as great in space. <laughs> I love that energy. I love that energy. Great in space. I'm I, taking a page out of this Is he mock. wrong? Is he wrong? Your next that. mock can only include three words per <laughs> yeah. player. It can't even be a full sentence. It has to be just, uh, what's just, just like three words. Yeah. I mean, that's all it needs. Traylon Burks goes to eight to the Falcon. Shades of Randy Moss on the deep ball, which I love. Uh, oh. Trey McBride. Going to the Washington Commanders at 11, which is easily the highest we've seen. Shades I mean, of TJ Hawkinson, Carson Strong at 12 to the Vikings. Minnesota needs to move past the definition of insanity with quarterback Kirk Cousins. Strong does that. Cameron Thomas, who's on this podcast, goes as high as 13, a relentless pass rusher with an infectious winning attitude. Maybe I Cameron Thomas should have been on this guy's podcast. Maybe he should have. Maybe he should have. Some other ones. Nicholas Petit-Friere goes at 16 to the Saints. That's really high. I mean, dude, you're
1: critiquing this as if it's really high. Like, no, we know wait, these are crazy. Wait, like, wait, you don't wait. have to keep has, saying he it. He has
0: Nick Benito, the edge from Oklahoma, going 19 to the Saints, and just says, Michael Parsons 2.0. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. I don't want to dig through this guy's entire mock, but it, it's, it's a phenomenal piece. Check it out on SI.com. The last one that I have to highlight, though, is David Bell going 28th to the Packers.
1: That's, and he says, Bell is the true
0: blue chip talent. Who did, I, I, I think he has she Derek be... Stingley falling completely out of the first round. It's it's a great piece. It's a great piece. Go check it out. Um, is that all we had on Catching the Buzz before we get to the The, the Ben market? McAdoo quote. Oh, yes. So Ben McAdoo. I've never been more convinced the Panthers taking quarterback at six. But continue with Ben McAdoo. So Ben McAdoo had a press conference today who's the new offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, and they asked him something along the lines of, like, "Who is Sam your starting quarterback, Sam Darnold? And he says, yeah, Sam's our starting quarterback. And then, like, later in the press conference, he mentions – I will, you know, part of where I want to improve is how I talk to you guys. I probably shouldn't have said that Sam's our starting quarterback. I put my foot in my mouth. Is that more an indication that they're going to go Kenny Pickett or more of an indication that they're not? Maybe he wasn't supposed to say that. I don't know. Like, was he not supposed to say? Maybe that's what the thought is inside the building. And he wasn't supposed to reveal that because a lot of maybe they want Mm. people thinking they want to go quarterback. I don't know. I I could
1: see that. But I will also say um, this is the second time we've had a quick sort of turnabout and Trevor Sikama. PFF analyst here, brought the other one to my attention, Scott Fitterer, uh, during a press conference, I believe it was last week, talks about, he's talking about his needs. He's like, obviously we need to tackle. Um, quarterback could be a need. And then after quarterback, he immediately pivoted to, and you know, Brian Burns is, isn't under contract for too many more years, so we don't know how long, like if he's gonna necessarily be here forever. Like immediately pivots to like a crazy non sequitur that Obviously, you're going to try to resign Brian Burns. Obviously, he's going to, you want him to be there for a while, but like starts getting like legitimately nervous in a press conference as well after he brought up the quarterback position. So something's going on at the quarterback position here in Carolina. TBD on what that actually is, but they're putting their foot in their mouths. The Panthers brass. At the moment. That's what Mac is doing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that was incredible. All right, off the catch and early buzz. Before we get into the rest of the show, we want to go over Peter Schrager's mock draft, kind of go pick by pick. I do think that he always waits late in the process to do his mock drafts and only. Throws what out hearing. what he's hearing, exactly what he's hearing about how they're going to approach things at the top of the draft. That's why I do think that you should put a lot of stock into what he does late in the process, because I think he's one of the more connected you know, people in the mock draft game. Mm-hmm. All right. The, the presenting sponsor, sponsor of this podcast is Cash App. Uh, Cash App is the easiest way to send, spend, and save your money. You can send and request money from your friends when they owe you for dinner, drinks, literally anything. Besides just sending money back and forth with Cash App, you can invest in stocks with as little as $1 as well as buy, sell, and send Bitcoin instantly. It's really that easy. Cash App allows, also lets you design your own debit card completely free to spend money anywhere you'd like. Cash App will laser print it and mail it to you all for free, and the card becomes and the card comes with free discounts. at Your favorite places called Boosts. Sign up for Cash App today using the referral code Hutchpod, which gives new users fifteen dollars, and Cash App will set aside ten dollars for each sign up to go towards the Chad Tough Foundation to battle pediatric brain cancer. The more people that use the code Hutchpod when registering, not only get fifteen dollars for free, but you're also helping to support the Chad Tough Foundation. Download the Cash App on the App Store or Google Play Store today. That's Hutchpod at Cash App. Peter Schrager, mock Draft. Love Schrager. We've had him on this podcast before. Would
1: you call him an elite mind in the mock draft
0: space? I'd call him an elite mind in the mock draft space. He's also a colleague of ours, if you count our GMFB appearances. Mm. And so there's a piece there. At number one overall, he has Trayvon Walker, the Georgia edge defender going number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's been on on this train for a while. When I was on Good Morning Football two or three weeks ago, he said, you know, I obviously was talking Aiden Hutchinson, and that's who I take at number one overall, all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, I know that's what you would take. What's Bulky gonna do? And a lot of his like push has been, I'm hearing Bulky is interested in Trayvon Walker. Bulky drafted Alden Smith. There's a lot of reasoning for why Bulky would want Trayvon Walker over Hutchinson. Also, I- the the underrated
1: storyline here that I really hadn't thought about too much prior to this is the Jim Harbaugh Trent Bulky relationship, which is admittedly oh. a disaster. They hate each other. They hate each other from their time in San Francisco. Um, and that split, wow. and why Harbaugh left in the first place. So that is an underrated storyline in this whole thing. That really, I haven't, I, I hadn't really, like I guess I didn't even about. think about that. That bulky drafting Harbaugh's, you know, guy
0: may not be something he's super interested in. If Bulky passes on Aiden for that pettiness, for that's insane. Say, if you like Walker over Hutchinson, that's your prerogative. But if you do it because you're trying to get back at Jim Harbaugh that's incredible i mean we just talked about
1: it with the pizza thing in usfl guys aren't making decisions we think they're making these cool calm calculated decisions with like this massive board in front of them Mm -hmm. and all this data laid out and the film grinding there yeah when sometimes it's just i hate jim harbaugh i'm not gonna draft this
0: guy i think an underrated component of draft analysis honestly is thinking more about hey like oftentimes decision makers Mm principal decision makers make unilateral decisions and that's not independent, you know, of the draft. Like, I mean, they, they're oftentimes someone who is the final say on things will do things that the consensus doesn't want. You know, a lot of the conversation is a bulk majority of the Jacksonville Jaguars front office and coaching staff and and, and and scouts want to go a different direction than Walker, whether that's Hutchinson or an offensive tackle, whatever it may be. Bulky could be looking differently, right? Bulky said, hey, I'm gonna make a unilateral decision here. We are not going to take in Hutchinson and we're gonna take Trayvon Walker. To speak more about like the prospect Right, Walker, for me, is in this tier one of edge defenders. I have Aiden Hutchinson, then Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, George This all top 10 on my board, which I know pales in comparison to yours. And the argument for Walker over Hutchinson that isn't pettiness, in my opinion, is obviously banking on the projection that is. He is a Miles Garrett clone in a lot of ways from a build and athleticism perspective. And at Georgia, he was not asked to play outside the tackles in a pure edge alignment a ton. He has a third of the experience playing that position than Aiden Hutchinson has in his college career. And if you can talk your coaching staff into developing a walker and talk your, you know, obviously your scouting staff that like, hey, we can get the best out of him, I I, I can see why you'd have walker over Hutchinson. Now, that doesn't bring up the pettiness of Harbaugh and all that stuff. But if your coaching staff, right, is confident, they can turn Walker into a Miles Garrett or a premier player at the next level then of course you buy into it but all I'm hearing is the coaching staff doesn't think that and if the guys who are going to be developing Walker aren't all that confident in you know which oftentimes you get a D-line coach it's like you give me Trayvon Walker I'll turn him into a Hall of Famer if they aren't saying those things I'd be really concerned with taking Trayvon Walker over Thibodeau Hutchinson or even George Karloftis right just because so much of how good Walker is in the NFL is going to be how you play him how you develop him and the opportunities you give him. And Mm -hmm. if your coaching staff isn't wholesale convinced that they can put Walker in a position to succeed right out of the gate and give him the opportunities to reach his maximum potential, I don't see how you avoid Hutchinson or Thibodeau or these guys at the top. I I, I don't know, I I think it's not, as outlandish as some people are billing it you listen to Sam Monson on the NFL podcast he's you know he says things like I can't see any reason why you take him number 1 overall I can you can see the obvious reasons why you take Walker number 1 overall what i can't see is if bulky's making this unilateral decision how in the hell are you going to get the maximum potential out of Walker if your coaching staff or your other scouts aren't even on board like that's going to make it that much harder to Get the maximums out of Walker.
1: Well, I can't speak to the coach's staff, but I will say I think it would be insanity to draft Trayvon Walker over Ian Hutchinson. I'll just I will say it because I don't think, for as toolsy as Trayvon Walker is, I I don't think he's egregiously more so for that position than Ian Hutchinson is.
0: Yeah, you know that's what gets underrated in the conversation. Everyone talks about Trayvon Walker as like this freaky athlete. What he could. Aiden Hutchinson is a freaky athlete yeah. in his own right. He ran yeah. a cone cone at six foot seven 260. And people have called him, you know, bulky wants his Alden Smith
1: in his defense, and that's like a, a physical comparison with that length. Well, you know who he passed on to draft Alden Smith? He passed on J.J. Watt, you know, <laughs> like in that same
0: draft. That kind of gets lost in this too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Off the number one overall pick, so he has Trayvon Walker going one and then Aiden Hutchinson going two, which I do think that if Walker goes one and bulky gets his way, right, because he says here is the fact that it remains is a debate make, makes me think Trent Bulky is leaning Walker. Hmm. Now, if Walker goes one, I don't even think the time even goes out on the clock, right? I think Aiden Hutchinson is a Detroit lion quicker yes. set. You know, they don't have a need at tackle. They like Taylor Decker. They obviously like Panay Sewell. They're going to be looking at the top edge available. And in that case, I'd be leaning Hutchinson as well. At number three he has Ikiaquanu going to the Houston Texans. That's where betting markets see it as well. I think it's minus money that he is a top three pick, and I don't think he goes to Detroit, and I don't think he goes to Jacksonville. So I do think Houston Texans ultimately do grab Ikiaquanu at number four overall. And I don't th- know why this isn't a bigger lock. The New York Jets grab Kavon Thibodeau. I think if Kavon Thibodeau is available to the New York Jets. That is the best decision they can make. I like Thibodeau at four over any other player. The only ones, you know, you could obviously consider Neil here if Ike is off the board. You can consider Sauce Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati. Derek Stingley, cornerback out of LSU. I think the best case scenario for the Jets at number four overall is Kayvon Thibodeau if, say, Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker doesn't fall.
1: Yeah, I I might lean the corners here just personally. um, But corner edge they're in a very good spot the Jets four and ten they'll get two good players should should get two good players
0: and I think it's leaning that direction as well betting markets originally I think it was plus money that Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be a top five pick now it's minus 180 minus 180 that he goes inside the top five so you have to be thinking that he's in consideration obviously for the Detroit Lions at two Texans at three Jets at four and then his floor Looking like five to the New York Giants. Now, off of that, he has the New York Giants taking Charles Cross, Mississippi State, at number five overall, which is a lot higher than some mocks have had Cross. But I do think the league will be valuing Cross. I don't think he gets past the Seattle Seahawks at nine. Then at six, Ben McAdoo's guy, Kenny Pickett, goes to the Carolina Panthers. Right now, betting markets have Kenny Pickett as plus 150 to be a Carolina Panther, despite Panthers picking at six. That is some of the lowest odds for an outside the top five pick we've ever seen. So Pickett, all the smoke is that he's going to be a Carolina Panther. The question I have for you is if Pickett doesn't go to Ben McAdoo and the, and the Carolina Panthers, how far does he fall, right? Because if Carolina is so high on Pickett, are there other teams that are going to be jumping at the opportunity to grab Pickett? Because he's a lot lower on a lot of other consensus boards. I
1: can see him going to Pittsburgh. And that's the thing about this quarterback class is not even just consensus boards. It's like, that fact doesn't matter. It's just landing spots wholesale. like. You don't have many teams that are would even draft a quarterback. So you have after the Lions could, then the Panthers could, then I guess the Falcons, Seahawks could, but will they pull the trigger on them that highly? TBD, but then once you get to like the teens, you have to go down to the Saints at 16 for a team that like realistically would slash could. So there's just not a lot of landing spots for the quarterbacks. You could see some of these guys fall should the teams at the top of the draft. Cooler heads prevail in draft rooms and they go elsewhere. So. Yeah, I, I do, though. I do, though, by the picket smoke. Yeah. And I'm not the only one who, like I've said before, because the Sam Darnold stylistically just tools the ways, like, they just have a way of looking like each other that I put in draft guide as the comp. Darren said that, too. He said, you have a quarterback a lot likes Kenny Pickett. Uh, Today on, I believe it was Get Up, he said they have a quarterback a lot like Kenny Pickett already on the roster. And Sam Darnold, I don't know why you would go that
0: route when it already didn't work out for you. (laughs) I'd be really, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if the Carolina Panthers went Kenny Pickett. But it would just be a wild series of Mm decision-making for that staff to do what they've done, obviously, with the the picks they traded and all that stuff. But just
1: look at their history at the quarterback here. What they've been doing the past three years has been
0: egregious mismanagement so the giants at seven they grab sauce gardner cincinnati cornerback um and that would give them cross at five gardner at seven i do think that if hutchinson walker and thibodeau are off the board by the time the giants pick I think this is a a really good situation for them going cross and sauce Gardner. I think you're getting legitimate talents at two high value positions. Uh, I'd like to see them go pass rusher potentially. But again, if Hutchinson and all those guys are already off the board, it it makes a lot of sense to consider Stingley and cross in those spots. At eight, Atlanta Falcons grabbing Evan Neal. We have not seen this a ton in mock drafts, but it definitely makes sense with where their offensive line is right now. At nine, the Seattle Seahawks grab Derek Stingley Jr. I do think this is the worst case scenario for Seattle in terms of three offensive tackles off the board, the top ones, and now you got, I'm got – worst-case scenario, in that I know they probably want to lock into an offensive tackle. Now, Stingley's okay. a phenomenal player, but yeah. to, to not have a chance at Cross, Neal, or Aquanu by the time they're picking at nine, I don't think they'd be too thrilled at that.
1: See, Seahawks are in a position where it's such a long-term decision at this point where it's like, yeah, you, you would prefer an OT, but – you just take the best player on the board man like mm-hmm. you're you're not good enough to uh, besides probably wide receiver i probably take that one off the board because of how much you've invested there
0: but every other position is viable i'd say at number nine jameson williams right now you can bet under pick 14 and a half at minus 150. i think only as minus one fifty. only minus 150. and then for him to be a top 10 pick it's plus 200. Ooh, for him to be the first receiver off the board, it's plus 330. And I don't understand why those odds are where they're at because I do think the itself. Jets will 100% be considering Jamison Williams at number 10 overall, even though a lot of the hype has been around Drake London of USC and obviously Garrett Wilson of Ohio State. There are multiple situations where Jamison Williams is the pick for the Jets, right? Say Atlanta goes London at 8, or Atlanta goes Garrett Wilson well, at wouldn't
1: 8. No, he wouldn't be wide
0: receiver 1 then, but still that's plus 200 Jameson Williams yeah. is a top 10 pick and that's inside the 14 and a half where his pick number is I am betting a lot of those props for Jameson Williams because I think he'll be in strong consideration for the Jets at 10 yeah
1: I I tend to agree and the, the one wild card is Garrett Wilson I, I've seen him as high as four in mocks to the Jets which whew, that'd be high for me but still i
0: I don't think Drake London goes
1: ahead of him at this point after not running at his pro day. Fair
0: enough. That's another good data point. At number 11, Schrager has the commanders getting Garrett Wilson. I think a lot of the reports I've seen have them locking into one of the two Ohio State receivers, whether it's Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson or Chris Olave, looking to complement Terry McLaurin. Another Ohio State wide here. Huh? Another Ohio State wide receiver. Yep. Minnesota Vikings grabbed Jermaine Johnson, Florida State. I think we've had a lot of discourse on Johnson. We did the NFL NFLSE podcast yesterday, and he went way lower in our mock draft compared to theirs. Connor Rogers of Bleach Report also does the podcast with Trevor on NFLSE. He's big on Jermaine Johnson. We're a little bit lower on Johnson. What's your opinion of the Vikings potentially going Johnson here at 12?
1: I don't know. I mean, they've, they obviously need edge still. Their old regime's MO was third fourth round edge they would probably not have taken him in the first round but i do think new regime's going to go attack value positions corner or edge probably
0: off of that Houston Texans at 13 grab Kyle Hamilton I, I could definitely see the Texans grabbing so at 3 that would have been Iki Kwanu and Kyle Hamilton at 3 and 13 that one seems like we've seen that a lot that mm-hmm. combination of those two ha- Hamilton i do think starts to be in strong consideration for the Commanders at 11 Potentially the Vikings at 12, Texans at 13. I do think that's where that range will start to come off the board. I don't know where his prop is currently. Let me take a quick look. I like I factoring that half. in. It was 10 and a half. 10 and a half. So I think over 10 and a half isn't an awful bet in this case. Going to Baltimore, Trevor Penning off to tackle Northern Iowa. Goes to Baltimore Ravens at 14. At 15, Drake London comes off the board. Goes to Philadelphia Eagles. Oh my goodness. If Drake London does not pan out, and they go after Ortega Whiteside and then London and you, a lot of the similar concerns. I, don't, I, I think obviously London's a better prospect yeah. but Eagles fans will never live it down if London ends up being this well, I mean, to
1: catch well, guy. They have gone with multiple different types of wide receivers and still struck yeah. out. So I'm not sure that one especially well, what do you when think you that consider receiving the draft core? capital investment in uh, Ortega Whiteside was like later second. It wasn't that massive to really, you know, be mad about a guy busting at that point in the draft. But Drake London at 15, if he doesn't work out, that's a little
0: bit different. Drake London, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager. J.J. J. 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 Ortega-Whiteside obviously is the four. As the I, two. <laughs> stop. Stop. I'd be – I mean, that's a – got to hope that pans out, man. You've, you've invested a lot in that position. you got to hope you can develop one of those guys into uh, an obviously yeah. a premier talent. I think Devontae Smith was phenomenal last year. Obviously, Jamar Chase like rewrote record books and stuff, but I thought Devontae Smith was really good, and I think he gets continues to get better mm-hmm. with the Eagles. That's 16 – Chris Olave to the New Orleans Saints. I like that a lot. Um, I think that receiving core without Michael Thomas last year was horrendous. They need to bring in some talent there. Uh, I think Chris Olave at 16 is definitely worth the value. Then a little bit of a run here on receivers. So Drake London, the Eagles at 15. Chris Olave to the Saints at 16, and then the Chargers grab Traylon Burks, Arkansas wide receiver, at 17. Is that how you see these receivers coming off the board? That will kill a lot of the teams drafting towards the back end, right? Chiefs, yeah, Packers really want receiver. If Burks and all those guys are already off the board, oh, my gosh.
1: Well, I still think they'll still be in the running for wide receivers. I, I still think wide receivers are still coming off the board, but, yeah, that will mean the over prop
0: of, what was it, six and a half at wide receiver mm-hmm. is definitely going to hit at that point. We have after that, the Philadelphia Eagles picking again after London at 15 at 18 they grab Devin Lloyd that's been a pretty common pick you know obviously need a linebacker I don't think they ultimately do that though Schrager I'm not trying to disagree with the sources you have I still don't think the Eagles are going to go linebacker in the first round I think they're going to value you know higher value positions at 19 Jordan Davis goes to New Orleans Saints so the Saints come out of this with a receiver and a defensive tackle despite a lot of the conversation being around them going after an offensive tackle avoiding Bernard Ryman in this case Trevor Penning already off the board I think before the Saints first pick obviously going to the Baltimore Ravens at 14 that does not feel like an ideal situation for them I think they want to come out of the first round with a receiver and a tackle
1: yeah I agree that the tackle obviously trade up Canada as well but if if uh I'm trying to think of the tackle class right now at this point Tyler Smith Bernard Ryman I'd be hard pressed to see them going I mean Jordan Davis is a difference maker but like they are going to have a time with that left tackle position next year
0: then he has Malik Willis falling all the way to 20 in this situation, going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I think for the longest time, you know, Malik Willis is minus 175 to be the first quarterback off the board. If he falls to 20, someone's going to take Pickett ahead of him, right? I think it would be wild to see. Oh well, yeah, he did in the mock. Yeah. yeah, he did in the mock, right? Pickett <laughs> goes at six to the Carolina Panthers. I, I think it would be pretty wild to see Malik Willis fall that far. I agree. He I is, don't think it's as though. much as he's not a polished quarterback prospect, I think he has enough tools and trades for a team to covet him inside the top ten. Like
1: I would see if he so if he's not first quarterback off the board, if he does fall, you know, past the Panthers at six, I think the Falcons or Seahawks are gonna take him, honestly
0: yeah that, I, I agree you know i agree i think yeah. that's I mean, even the saints right like why aren't you like Over you have saints, to start yeah. you have to start to consider it uh, even if you don't love him as a prospect in that range because it just starts to make too much sense from a value perspective and I this do is wonder, a dream scenario for pittsburgh
1: well i was gonna say i do wonder if he's got some i don't want to say inside info but like no trades in the smock basically saying that's a fit that they like him a lot that they would go up and get him otherwise gotcha you know? Okay, yeah, I don't think that's up. that.
0: Yeah, because oftentimes you don't see trades in NFL media mocks, and maybe he's saying the Steelers are going after him, and maybe they're going up inside the in the top yeah. 10. 21, Trent McDuffie to the New England Patriots. They obviously lost J.C. Jackson this offseason. McDuffie comes in at corner. Packers, D- Jahan Dotson. They're not drafting Jahan Dotson. The last time, okay,
1: so Jahan Dotson, 178 pounds. They have not drafted a – sub 195 pound wide receiver before the third round in the thompson guttekunst era wow um the only they've only drafted one and it was trevor davis who was honestly more of a return specialist so they have one wide receiver below 195 pounds the guys that were 195 pounds were randall cobb and jared everder so they covet size they are just i don't think they draft john Dotson. i'm not sure they even draft chris olave or garrett wilson we fell to him that's just their Emma. that's the scouting they don't draft. They don't draft unathletic offensive linemen traditionally. They don't draft small wide receivers. They just. That's. Can you not call something. out Schrager like that? I'm just saying a lot. I've seen a lot of mocks. I just would be absolutely floored if they actually drafted John Dotson.
0: This would be a bad roll of the dice for Green Bay, too, with so many receivers coming off the board early. I'd rather see them go Skymore or Pickens in this spot, though, than Dotson. I am higher on those two over Dotson. 23, Arizona Cardinals grab Zion Johnson. We've seen that pretty consistently. Linderbaum, center from Iowa, goes to Dallas Cowboys at 24. They're consistently attacking interior offensive line at that 24 spot. Then Brees Hall going to the Buffalo Bills at 25. You know, I saw today, too, on the running back conversation in the first round. So Brees Hall here, I think he's the favorite to be the first running back off the board. Doug Hyde put out an article today. I mentioned him a lot on this podcast. He's a phenomenal reporter here at PFF. He wrote an article saying some of the more underrated prospects in this class, one of them is Isaiah Spiller, and he's heard from two sources that could be an early second-round pick if not slip into the back end of the first. If Isaiah Spiller goes in the back end of the first, that would be one of the more stunning developments of this pre-draft, of, of the draft because I, I do not understand even Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker are two of the better running backs in this class going in the first, let alone Isaiah Spiller.
1: Dude. I would be – I couldn't fathom that. That's, that just seems like an ultimate waste of resources for the only thing he has going for him. Not the only thing. I guess semi-productive at Texas a almost 3,000 yards in three seasons. Like a- Any advanced metric, though, in terms of like tackle breaking, yards after contact, are very average by draft prospect standards. Six-foot, 217, he's 20 years old is the only good selling point on his – sort of profile at the moment that maybe he could be ascending we'll turn 21 before next season though but he ran a 4.63 at a pro day 33 inch vertical 9.6 broad jump those are not just like not good those are awful for a running back at any weight so
0: yeah that's, that's just not a guy you draft that high straight up not a guy you draft that high man if he if that Rings true. I i can imagine the PFF NFL draft show, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where
1: everyone just like loses their mind. Well, just like go look at the NFL running backs in, I was about to say in the NFL, but just go look at any 1,000 yard running back in the NFL. Every single one will be more athletic than them. Mm-hmm. Over the past, I'm trying to think of the last one to even come close to that level of athleticism. Maybe, maybe Kareem Hunt. Maybe Kareem Hunt. But then Kareem Hunt in college broke the most tackles in the single season we've ever seen. So.
0: There you have it. There you have it. Let's see. Next, you had Kenyon Green going to Tennessee Titans. A lot of run on interior offensive line here. Zion Johnson, and the Cardinals at twenty-three. Linderbaum to the Cowboys at twenty-four. Bills don't go into your offensive line; they go running back. And then the Titans grab Kenyon Green into your offensive line from Texas A&M. Twenty-seven. Bucks grab Daxton Hill from Michigan. Everything I've heard is that this guy's going to be a first rounder. One of my one of the bets I'd consider is minus 150 Daxton Hill is a top 32 pick I do think that Daxton Hill ultimately sneaks into the first round everything I've heard says he's going to get in that range I'm not surprised that schrager has him going to the bucks and you had him in our NFL SE mock going Go to the, the bucks. bucks at 27. yeah
1: one of the interesting things about Daxton Hill he actually has a nearly a one inch shorter wingspan than Kyle Hamilton so he's six really foot. Kyle Hamilton 64 one inch shorter wingspan almost a 6 foot 8 wingspan. The guy is
0: long. So, 28 Devonte Wyatt, defensive tackle of Georgia, goes to the Green Bay Packers. That gives the Packers Jahan Dotson and Devonte Wyatt as a Packers shareholder, what's your reaction? They're not drafting either.
1: They don't draft 24-year-olds and they don't draft small receiver receivers. receivers. I'd so. be floored after that. Now, what that I'd tells me no, is that the, but, the
0: Packers front office is keeping things close to the vest, and Schrager can't get locked in, and which good. is good.
1: They're protecting the good. shareholders. Uh, they're they're a difficult team to mock for traditionally because of like they don't, they don't leak a lot of stuff out. But I will say they just have not trended towards older prospects. Haven't trended towards smaller wide receivers. They've broken trends at times. Clay Matthews was an older prospect coming out. Um, obviously, that one worked out well, but just traditionally, but they also do covet line of scrimmage. So if they are going to break that for an older prospect,
0: it would be D-line, O-line. Chiefs at 29 and 30 avoid receiver altogether. I don't think this is a good situation for them either, right? Like a lot of receivers already off the board. They could go Pickens here. They could go Christian Watson, could go Sky Moore, but they don't. They go George Carlatis of Purdue at 29, and then Kyler Gordon who has been rumored as a potential sneak-in candidate for the first round. I think he's plus 150 to be a first-round pick if you're interested in betting him. And at 31, Mike Quinn, I think this is a sick scenario for the Bengals. Mm. Tyler Smith of Tulsa goes to the Bengals at 31. I really like Andrew Booth. I really like Kyer Elam, the two cornerback prospects, as potential suitors at 31. But Tyler Smith, I just really like his trajectory as a younger player that's coming out of Tulsa as a redshirt sophomore. Which you rarely see offensive line prospects leave school early when they're from power five schools, let alone group of five. What this guy is hearing from the NFL draft committee, the ones who like tell you like where you're expected to go is really good. And this is another guy that I'm betting goes in the first round. I, I think so. right now he is plus 120 to be a first round pick. I like that as, as a bet a lot. I think Tyler Smith is ultimately a first round pick when it's all said and done. And then at 32, Matt Corral, the consistent pick is quarterback at 32, prioritize the fifth year option, all that stuff. Uh, we've We've seen that a thousand times yeah schrager's mock draft go to nfl.com to check out schrager's mock draft he's one of the elite minds in the space elite if you don't space. get that joke by the way you can't tell inside jokes on the pod we've had so many new listeners come on mm-hmm. Dane brugler came on for the first time and i was a little nervous because Dane <laughs> brugler is one of the elite minds in the space and as part of his intro i'm like we're like bringing him on and i'm like dane it's great to have you on we see you as one of the more elite minds in the space and then mike on the interview is like what did you just say? It's it was like, not great. It was all the guy to his face and elite mind in the space. It, it wasn't was just good. It wasn't good. Can I say that? It wasn't yeah. good. It was interesting. Should we get to our cornerback tears here? Yes. Sir. Before we do shouting out another sponsor on the tailgate podcast. It is simply safe and better help. What do us news, PC magazine and popular science have in common. They all ranked simply safe home security as the best home security of 2021. In fact, us news just named simply safe the best home security of 2022. Simply Safe has freed me from worry and giving me given me peace when both Mike and I are live on YouTube away from our homes, so everyone knows we're not there, and they've given me a lot of security. Right? Because mm. right now we could get robbed. You don't know that, but Simply Safe has our back. Riggins wouldn't let us get robbed. Riggins. Riggins he's, he's would definitely safe. let us get robbed. He would. He'd, befriend, he'd hump the robber. He'd befriend him. You home with them, probably. He probably would. Simply Safe protects your whole home around the clock, twenty-four-seven. Every door, every window, every dog, and every room. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day, and you can set it up with around thirty minutes. And it always, it's always simple to use. There's never a long-term contract. You can even try it for 60 days risk-free to see if you like it. If you don't, send it back free of charge. There's nothing to lose. Simply Safe protects over 1 million homes in the United States alone. Check it out. You can customize the perfect system for your home in a few minutes at simplysafe.com/hutch. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with their interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com/hutch. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns. Stress changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel we're taking a few steps back. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some more inner peace. Visit betterhelp.com hutch, that's better H-E-L-P, and join over the 2 million people worldwide who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of of an experienced professional. Special offer to tailgate listeners: get 10 off your first month at BetterHelp.com/hutch. Cornerback rankings. I think you're going to be, or we're going to be. I think Trevor as well. Trevor Stickland here at PFF. Rare in that we have Derek Stingley as CB1. Derek Stingley, you have in your tier one above Sauce Gardner, and then you have Trent McDuffie also in your tier one. I think that's going to be another situation where you might be on. You might be the only people there.
1: So. I don't want this to come across as me bashing Sauce Gardner. He's fantastic. He's fourth on the final PFF draft board, which if you haven't seen it, go check it out on pff.com. Some late movement. Got the whole squad to give their input on the draft board. That was cool.
0: I appreciate you always reaching out
1: in the end. That one is the group effort with the full evals. So Stingley was two on the draft board. Sauce Gardner came in at four. Trent McDuffie, I believe, at 11, just outside the top ten. To me – all close enough that I'd put him in a tier one, depending on the scheme you want, but ranked in that order. And the reason I have Stingley ahead is because he's a little more versatile in my eyes. Sauce Gardner, insane in press coverage. You know, as good a press corner as we've seen since Jalen Ramsey, like right up there, uh, probably better in pure press coverage than like Jeffrey Akudi even was at Ohio State. But he was in a scheme at Cincinnati where that was quite literally all he did. 801 of his 1,059 career coverage snaps came in press coverage. He, That's it. Like, you you don't get to as much. Like, there are so few schemes in the NFL that are going to allow him to do that. So if he goes to one of those schemes, he'll be excellent. Like, he goes to the Chiefs, you know, a defense that really prioritized that on the outside. By all means, he will be excellent. But from off coverage, to me, it is quite clearly Derek Stingley over Ahmad Gardner. And over the course of his career in zone coverage, Derek Stingley Jr., 31% completion percentage against. Only 12% completions his entire collegiate career in zone coverage. His ball skills and instincts I think are being slept on at the cornerback position in terms of how well he sees routes develop, how well he breaks on footballs. That is why Derek Stingley, I believe in, and now man coverage, press man is the most valuable aspect of the position, but again, it is not the entire position. And that is why Derek Stingley's below Mott Garner, Sauce Gardner is a pure press man corner but he's damn good in his own right. And then he also has a little bit more versatility to play in different schemes. That's what breaks the tie for me. They're both like two and four in the draft board. I see this cornerback class as insanely talented at the top. I love these guys' cornerback prospects. Some of the best we've seen at the position, that's though
0: the tiebreaker, shall we say, between those two. I think with Stingley too, just to cut in real quickly, why he's my cornerback one, I think it's just been vastly overstated how you know what his 2020 and 2021 tape was like it in terms of like not being as good and it wasn't but that's only because what he did in 2019 was we'll literally never see again I've said that a thousand times I think what he did as a true freshman at 18 years old in the SEC against the receivers he went against we will not see again and he still performed well the past two seasons was he banged up sure was it as good from a production standpoint as the previous you know as his 2019 season no but like you still see a lot of what you saw in 2019 in his 2020 and 2021 film and you have to you have to in my opinion bet on a player that has such effortless seamless movement skills and athleticism mm-hmm. at that cornerback position and especially someone who has great ball skills you've been quoted a thousand times about this guy could play receiver you good. know like that's how good he is at attacking the ball in the air so singly is is comfortably my cb1 as well i still see Derek singly and sauce gardner as top 10 players in this class mcduffie however He's not my he's not my tier one. Like I, yeah. I don't I don't have him in my tier one. I actually like Andrew Booth over McDuffie on oh. my final cornerback rankings. And it. then McDuffie, Elam, and Kyler Gordon are in my
1: tier three. So to get just a little bit more, Derek Slingley also will not turn twenty one until June of this year. Young. Young dude coming out. Mm-hmm. So lots of like there. Lots of like with Sauce Gardner, obviously. Not a touchdown over his entire college career. Did very well against Jamison Williams at the line of scrimmage in that game. Obviously, blue chip talents, both of them. Trent McDuffie, though, I believe is as well. To me, he's the best tackler, the best, you know, the most versatile of these three. If you wanted him to drop down and cover the slot, he just has the game that reminds me a lot of Jair Alexander. Now, he's not quite there athletically; did not test to that degree. A tick below in terms of speed, similar jumps and athleticism in that regard. But Trent McDuffie, one of the best tacklers, one of the smoothest, some of the smoothest hips in this draft class. Probably better fit for like your zone cover four sort of teams that are proliferating around the NFL. That's his fit, but the dude's really never played bad football at Washington. He actually allowed fewer first downs in his career. So the same, almost identical amount of coverage snaps to Derek Stingley, 200 fewer coverage snaps than Ahmad Gardner. He allowed the fewest first downs. He allowed only 24 first downs his entire college career. Sauce Gardner, 31. Derek Stingley, 38.
0: Man, that is... Wild. That is that is. I mean, his production is up there with the best in this class. Yes. Like he he and Kyler Gordon though were super productive in Washington uh, and, and had um, some elite skills there. Tier two for you. Where are we at?
1: So the tier two then would be Andrew Booth Jr. Clemson corner who's in your tier one, and Kyer Elam, the Florida corner who I think is still a first round type of talent. I think he could still for teams in the back end of the first round, but he's another guy who. You would like him more in press coverage and now he went low at the combine 439 at 6'2, 191 long press corner that is the ideal skill set and only 20 years old still will turn 21 until may so another guy who's productive at a young age at florida had an 89.8 coverage grade as a true freshman back in 2019 on 207 coverage snaps obviously this past year a little dinged up not his best season some penalty issues arose seven penalties this past year but I, the press skill set is still what's coveted the most and that is when he's in press coverage he looks like a first round corner
0: yeah I I have McDuffie in that tier two um McDuffie Gordon and Elam all in tier two in this class McDuffie Elam then Kyler Gordon I do think that some teams won't like Elam though right like they, mm-hmm. we go back to how teams build their boards they build their boards for their defenses and for Kyler Elam you're going to the teams that run a lot of press are going to want Elam over the teams that don't. And that, I think when you look at the chiefs at the back end, the bangles at the back end, I think teams that do want to have their guys on the line of scrimmage. I think that's ultimately going to be, you know, that area where he could possibly come off the board tier three for you.
1: Tier three for me at the cornerback position is where it starts to really fall off. Yeah. And, and like, I said, sucks I really to see like Kyler Gordon
0: one. in your tier three. Are you not that high on him?
1: I'm not super high on Kyler Gordon. I like him as a, Honestly, more of like a slot safety than a pure cornerback. Um, these guys in this tier all have sort of knocks on them. So that, that's my thing about Gordon. And then the speed at the combine was a touch concerning, um, given the role he played, which was, again, a lot of slot and a lot of bail in that cover three defense for Washington. Roger McCurry, a lot of press man. But then again, tiny, tiny arms, Some of the surest arms you'll ever see for a guy who's played a lot of press man at the collegiate level not a high-end athlete either so for like a guy who is a press man corner to have short arms and be middlingly athletic just your game ends up looking a lot different at the nfl level you know like that's like those are you know red flag red flag for the type of player he is now i think he's super talented i think he's very heady cornerback very smart player but those are too big of physical knocks for me to really get on board with him super highly and then cam taylor Britt is in this tier two to the nebraska corner who i think is also maybe A possible safety convert he is the most probably the most physical corner after sauce Gardner in this class that guy as a tackler has some hits on his tape he comes in fearless at the catch point you know all the uh reminds me of and this isn't going to be a great comp but the way he plays the catch point reminds me of the way um gosh i can't remember his name the raiders cornerback who's now out of the nfl entirely Um, um dj hayden no who's the from ohio state oh uh Damon Arnett Damon Arnett Damon Arnett that was like his biggest selling point coming out is Damon Arnett attacked the catch point like he was spiking volleyballs that's the way you can't Taylor Britt plays super physical ran a 436 has that to his game but is really rough around the edges in terms of just like when he's breaking on stuff his instincts the football IQ aspect all over the map in that regard and then I tossed in Marcus Jones to this the Houston corner Slash return, man. You got to mention the return ability. Literally won a game this past year against SMU on a kick return with I think like less than two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Very sick. I think he he's uh, has the most return touchdowns of anyone in this draft class. A ton of ball production at Houston this past year, but he's 5'8", 174. He will end up in the slot. That is going to be his position, but, man, he's physical 83.1 run defense grade as a corner at that size last year. Like there's some – there's enough Antoine Winfield-esque – dog in his game that i'm buying i usually the small corners you know guys who are limited you usually should not should not be this high on guys like that they do get moss at the catch point he has already gotten to the catch point but I still buy into the football player that he is
0: Marcus Jones too. I think he was on this podcast and we talked about the senior role and his, that opportunity he had there. And he ultimately pulled out due to an injury. And I think if he, among the cornerback talent that was there, right. He could have really stood out if he wasn't hurt. I mean, you could say a lot of that. Luke Gadecki got hurt and wasn't able to play at the Senior Bowl. Cameron Thomas got hurt and wasn't able to play at the Senior Bowl. Marcus Jones. Like, that is such – you know, we bring it up every year when we're talking about the Senior Bowl, but it's such an important part of this process. And it can really elevate guys mm-hmm. in this pre-draft process to just put more out there on tape. So uh, Marcus Jones in that Tier 3 for you, the Houston cornerback. Tier 4, go ahead and list off the names. I think you're missing a guy, though. Sam Houston State? You don't like Zion McCollum? Are you moving him to safety?
1: Oh, dude, I don't like Zion McCollum. He's that, that freaky athlete at Sam Houston State, though. Everyone yeah.
0: wants to put him in that Tariq Woolen tier
1: his tape was just so concerning to me. So Zion McCollum is the Sam Houston State. He had he was the ten RAS yeah, athlete. The super athlete. 6'2", 200 pounds, somewhat long arms, but then four three three with unbelievable short shot and three count. And it was like ninety percentile in both of those. Super athlete, but like he allowed like four hundred yards at Sam Houston State last year. Yeah. That shouldn't be possible. You <laughs> know, when you're that athletic, all you gotta do is kind of just like jog alongside a guy and he couldn't even do that his ball skills and like finding the football was tough on his tape and now Tariq Willans no sort of polished product himself but he at least kind of has an excuse dude just switched from wide receiver two years ago because he dropped seven of 31 catchable passes at wide receiver for UTSA coach in the middle of the season got pissed maybe not got pissed but in the middle of the season they switched him the cornerback you had th- he, he said to you right he played Madden too. To that try to trick one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He well, he told Madden, Doug that. Doug that. He, he played Madden to figure out the cornerback position, what he was supposed to do, which I'm sure Madden's realism these days definitely probably gave him a top-notch <laughs> <laughs> top notch uh, scouting report there. But 4-2-6 speed and unbelievable wingspan for a corner and kind of like figuring it out already. So, so definitely has some aspects to like about his game, especially at the line scrimmage and how he presses opposing wide receivers. Like there were reps – at Senior Bowl, he wasn't perfect by any means during the week practice at Senior Bowl, but it was when he had a route shut down, it was done. There was no, like quarterbacks weren't even throwing the ball because it was stupid to even do so. So that's the type of cornerback you could be getting And again as an excuse. Only two years playing this position. Jalen Armour Davis is next on this, Alabama cornerback, a guy who I believe, so of the two Alabama cornerbacks, my opinion, the far better one is prospect, Josh Joby, being the other, but Torres ACL, before he even played a snap for Alabama. So behind the eight ball, fell down the death chart, took him a while to get back into favor, but this past season, earns a uh, coverage grade in the eighties, played very well in a press man, but also off coverage. I think he's a versatile all around sort of cornerback can do a little bit of both, good size and length and four, three, nine speed at the combine. So he ticks a lot of boxes, just haven't seen a ton of them. And he ended up a top hundred player On the pff draft board next guy on this list is damari mathis who is so ridiculously explosive he went four three six i believe at the combine and then had an 11 foot broad and a 41 inch vertical he he is he is physical too but just inconsistent on his tape up and down performance um still rough around the edge i mean only under 65.7 coverage grade last year but a guy who super physical like i said 87.5 run defense grade very quick to fill still had a ton of stops and a ton of tackles in the run game to where i'm interesting for like zone teams with his tackling ability and how quickly he can cover space would not surprise me at all if he ended up in indianapolis colt that's like what their prototype is what they covet at that position so damari mathis that guy i threw cordell flott in here another lsu cornerback who we've talked about on the show prior Came out early. Came out early. He's 20 years old. He got some awful advice to come out earlier. Or he was not going to qualify academically next year. I don't know what it is. But not try to say that. But for him to come out at this, like, he sh- objectively should not have come out. Like, he's going to be a day three pick when, if he comes back to LSU, puts on some weight. Because he's 6'1", 175. But is only 20 years old. Won't even turn 21 until August of this year. So training camp, he turns 21. Needs to put on about 10 to 15 pounds at minimum to even see an NFL field, but was a slot corner. Graded out well, though, from slot. 84.8 coverage grade. Has that sort of ability or that want to that makes you think he can overcome that size disadvantage. And a good athlete in his own right. 4 five, 40 10-2 broad jump, 6 nine, 2 3 corner, and a 4-1 shot. Alike. All-around athlete just, again, tiny and... Probably should have come back to school but like i'll bet on the younger guys at the position quicker than i will like the 24 year olds so he's in that tier martin emerson's in this tier he's another just pterodactyl type live at the line of scrimmage which is worrisome because mississippi state objectively did not do that with him he did not have a ton of press coverage snaps in mississippi state but like his whole thing is getting to footballs getting his hands on balls had 12 pass breakups back in 2020. only one pick for his career though not great instincts from off but he has one of the biggest wingspans at the position in the draft class. So, yeah, I, I'm going to bet on a guy like Martin Emerson with 33 and a half inch arms for a six foot one corner. So, that's another guy. And then Joshua Williams and Jerome Bland are the last two in this tier. Jerome Bland, Fresno State corner, transferred from Sacramento State, only one year of FBS play, but he was impressive. I, I think he's one of the. Him and Williams are both very smooth. They may not be high end athletes. They might not tick that like explosive whatever box, but for taller corners, These guys can move. And I I thought Williams, we didn't obviously get Fayetteville State tape. It is D2. It is a low, low level competition. Watching the tape probably would not even glean much. But his Senior Bowl tape was, for my money, the most impressive of any of the guys in attendance. He was, especially during the game itself, just has some gamer traits to him. And to look like he belonged, coming from that level of competition, always a guy. I'm going to bump up a little bit, even above where I think, like he looked because it's tough. Like most of the guys that come from a very low level of competition just do not look like they belong at the senior bowl. It's tough. like your first time you ever playing guys that caliber of athlete and Joshua Williams looked like he belonged.
0: Well, there you have it, man. The tier four of corners. I do think that it speaks to the lack of depth at this class, right? I think, I think after- odd corner class, I say. You have Stingley, Gardner, McDuffie, Booth, Elam. Then after that, like you're looking at a lot of slot types too, right? Or like projected- outside cornerback types that will need some help yeah there's
1: just an odd number of
0: I'd say like super high-end athletes that are just not corners yeah you know I mean how many of these guys would you even be like comfortable starting week one outside of the top five that's the thing not a lot not a lot I mean Roger McCreary maybe but Mm -hmm. even then he probably best projects as a slot Kyler Gordon maybe could best project as a slot with the shorter arms and Marcus Jones a slot I I'm if you want a cornerback in this class, you're probably going to have draft one in the first three, too. That's why I do feel that all of the five that you have here, Stingley, Gardner, McDuffie, Booth, and Elam, are all first-round picks. I think mm-hmm. all five of them go in the first round yep. because those five have, I think, legitimate opportunity at starting on the outside in mm-hmm. the NFL compared to some of these other guys that are going to be project players that you'll have to develop in years in the league. Before we get into the delete your tweet and generational prospect segment, something we haven't touched on at all on the Catch and Early Buzz, I think of late, is the A.J. Brown stuff. You see AJ Brown tweet yesterday that, you know, some of the stuff, you know, about um, he says, I'm I'm a diva and a bad teammate all of a sudden, LOL, okay, do what you have to do and I will too. And then he takes Tennessee out of his bio, which I've been on this podcast talking about how much that's stupid, but if it's a leverage play and it works and, and that allows agencies and... And players more leverage in these contract negotiations. It does It doesn't. I'll you don't think it, it does? It doesn't. Well, it it, garners, it has to if they're doing it it, right. There's no attention. way. There's no way. The the act of itself, like
1: the public attention of it, may may give them leverage
0: if it doesn't give them leverage then i think the agents wouldn't be telling them to do it like i honestly think this is like agent approved agent instructed shit like i don't like it has to be there's no way if agents thought this that lost then they lost leverage from these types of things coming out on social media then they wouldn't be happening okay like, kyler murray does this whole thing on ig and then he comes out with this like big ass statement like i do think that this is this is definitely a product of that
1: i will just say i have zero interest in talking about any of these things until someone's actually going to miss or hold in or hold out a training camp, an actual Didn't, so event. Schefter said calendar.
0: that. Schefter said McLaurin, Debo, and
1: A.J. Brown are all threatening that. Okay, when they're th- threatening, I don't care. When they actually do, then I'll talk about it. Th- until then, I just, I'm of the opinion to sign them and get to a deal. It's all posturing. It's, all, it's, a, it's the agents want us to talk about this. So, like, that's what they want us to do. Not Did- to say, like, I'm um, n- anti-player, but, like, I'm not just going to dance – Did I ever bring this up to you, though? When
0: they actually hold out, then I'll talk. I have a piece of evidence and a a, a detail that you might, it might change your opinion. What's this detail? Someone randomly on Twitter DM'd me, who is a barber, (laughs) apparently. Okay. And he's a barber for one of the guys in the Jets front office. And they said they were working on a deal for a big-bodied yak type. I don't know. I don't know. You're a big-bodied (laughs) yak type. I'm a (laughs) big-bodied yak type. Um, Maybe that guy, who is a barber, knows more than you do. Mm. Mm. Debo Samuel could be Debo on Samuel. Not a big-bodied guy, but still, he's big-bodied. He's like two fifteen. That's true. That's true. He's just uh, yeah. I think that's fair. All right, delete the tweet. This one is uh, I don't I couldn't put another of my own tweets on here because you got like absolutely bodied for this. I want someone else
1: to delete this tweet. This was okay. So this was last week the PFF college account without my knowledge. I mean, they take the quotes in the podcast always to make quote graphics without any sort of approval. It doesn't bother me truthfully but this one got got the fans going so i i said last week when comparing Aiden hutchinson's like combine i said he's Aiden Hutchinson's is a better athlete than the bosa brothers like objectively you did say that i was i remember hearing you say objectively his combine measurables were better that's you not, said that
0: on the nfl podcast and you said that on this podcast
1: that's not like a hot take go look at their measurables they're better so that one whatever it got michael parsons quoted by michael parsons it got quoted by george Kittle. And it got my DMs and fuego. Let me read some of these to Did you. Did you get bomb threats? I got. I had people commenting on Instagram posts of mine. Some of these comments, just on a picture of me and my girlfriend, garbage now, analysts, analysts too. I guess he thinks uh, my girlfriend does. Uh, That's draft incredible. Too. Said, "Ain't no way in hell you tried to say Aiden is better than the Bosa brothers. How dumb are you? Do you even watch any type of football? Ain't no way." Uh, uh, guy named Aiden is better than Nick Bosa. Are you the pendejo that said Hutchinson is better than the <laughs> Bosa brothers? Bro said Hutchinson is better than the Bosa brothers. These are all comments on my pictures. These aren't even DMs yet. Let me get to some of the DMs. It said, that turtleneck shows you know nothing about sports. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was actually. That's pretty good. Maybe That's pretty up. good. And then here are some of the DMs. I just want you to know you're an idiot, and if you're trolling, you're still an idiot. Joey and Nick are that. the two best defensive ends in the league. Also in the sport. If I was your boss, you'd be fired right now. You're a fucking dumbass. <laughs> don't ever say some dumb shit like this again. They were in. They were in. That reminds me of... And so I want that tweet deleted is what I was basically saying. I actually don't. It doesn't bother me, but that I one mean, got the people going.
0: It got the people going. And I think any, nothing gets people going, like the general fans, more than when like players get in. So when George Kittle and Micah Parsons are quote-tweeting oh, it yeah. and you're getting absolutely body-bagged, it's, it's going to... Sp- Start a fire, so it goes back to because the people that
1: uh, like the take is because people that follow those people Mm -hmm. are the 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 ones who are like, and then reply to those people. Yes, are the lowest totem pole of fans of like
0: the guys who will be bomb threatening you. Yeah, and will be when I sent out that quote about the eagles potentially being a good bet at plus 1400 to be to have the fewest wins in the nfl the guy literally said i want your address i want to send a bomb to your house like like there's fans out there that are
1: absolutely absurd did i ever tell you a story about how nick bellore had a fan like come into his dms like that because
0: of the cd lamb thing right yeah
1: and then he like ended up convincing him that he was Potentially getting a job with the Seahawks, the fan. No way they he did. That <laughs> no, dude does. I, I can't probably tell the whole story of the pod
0: because it, but it was it was a good one. That's pretty fantastic. All right, so that's a good delete tweet. Michael Parsons, George Kittle, quote tweeting you into oblivion was was fun to watch. I'll say that it was fun to watch. Now the generational prospect bracket. If you've been following along, tailgate, we've been doing this for different prospects since 2015. For now, we are doing Edge. 2015, PFF's Edge 1 was Vic Beasley of Clemson. We loved Vic Beasley. Come out. He was the number three overall player on PFF's draft board. We didn't have draft board that year. It was in the mock draft. In the through. mock draft. In 2016, number one on the draft board was Joey Bosa, who is not as athletic as Aiden Hutchinson, as you said, which we, we don't have to get into. Yeah. Miles Garrett was Please the not. number one player on the 2017 draft board coming out of Texas A&M. Harold Landry was the number one edge on the 2018 draft board and was the 12th ranked player. Then in 2019, Nick Bosa, the number two player in the 2019 NFL draft. In 2020, Chase Young, the number three overall player. 21, not a high edge group. Quiddy Pay, the number 24 Uh, overall player on PFF's draft board and the number one edge in that class and then another Michigan guy Aiden Hutchinson number one player on the draft board and the number one edge in this class we're on the right side of history with a lot of those I think so I think so PFF's edge grades are really good in college and also Mm. Eric Eager data scientist here at PFF has done a lot with identifying predictive metrics for that Mm. position specifically and a lot of that is stuff that Trayvon Walker has (laughs) length explosiveness size and when you compare that and create composite scores around athletic testing measurables and obviously production grades at the college level i do think that our edge grades have has have have rung fairly true maybe outside of the beasley one being probably the most egregious but first matchup is beasley versus hutchinson hutchinson
1: beasley actually didn't grade that well in college uh he was more of a guy was an athletic project i'll grab his grades here in a second but this one to me it's it's eight
0: i mean i don't think that one's really much of a debate i agree i think I, i'm going to go aiden over vic b so They'd- only
1: 88.4 pass first grade greatest final year of at clemson so to compare that to hutchinson's what 94 point something or another it's he was somewhat productive but not to the degree that hutchinson is and
0: then hutchinson's a better athlete too Joey Bosa versus Quiddy Pay. This one's obviously Bosa. Okay. I, I mean, Pay, we weren't even high on that edge group as a whole. Bosa wins that by a landslide. Then here's the heavyweight matchup Miles Garrett versus Chase Young. It has to be, I want to say it's Young. Like, we were really high on Young, and Young had the production, had the athletic testing, had all this stuff. Mm hmm. Garrett, though, I don't know. I, I I wasn't here at PFF when we were doing that draft board, and I don't remember how high we were on Garrett. I know he's the number one overall player on our draft board, but I remember the conversation we had about Chase Young in that 2020 draft. We felt like he was can't miss. Like I don't think anyone in the building thought Chase Young was ever anything but like Hall of Famer. It was the way we talked about Chase Young, I think we talked hi- more highly of Young than we did Aiden Hutchinson. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I think going to have to lean Chase Young for this one over miles garrett which i think is i wasn't here for garrett but i don't think that's all that crazy uh then harold landry versus nick bosa that's obviously nick bosa Bosa winning that one get it after that it's aiden versus joey
1: aiden versus nick aiden versus nick this one's tough i I lean nick because and this is bad to say but like he was joey bosa you know yeah 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 they were the same person are the same person and you saw it work with joey like the way they way they're pass rushing, the whatever, the sequence they go through, the whatever, the uh, who's the D line coach for Ohio State that they just like run to a fucking T. Mm-hmm. It works. And they ran it better than anyone else. And they have insanely good hands. And they have the agility and bend of much smaller dudes. So as much as I love Aiden Hutchins as a prospect, I think he's the number one pick in
0: this class, I'd still lean Nick Bosa.
1: In terms of assuredness of him producing at the next
0: the level, the only and I, I'm not going to disagree with you. The only reason I would consider Hutchinson over Bosa is I remember so much of the conversation in the 2019 draft. I remember working with Steve closely on this. Is that he was hurt, you know, and then the injury was yes, concerning. Was like, the hamstring draft, like. stuff was a lot of? Like, I remember the only. I mean, we ACL, wrote like he a had pros. ACL in high school too, <laughs> yeah.
1: right? He like or had something. He had multiple big injuries already by the time he came out. The core muscle that year, and then so. That was concerning. And that's why, in the end, it might not end up being him because there were those concerns. But also, like, Hutch broke his leg the year prior
0: that's not the same though i mean there were a lot of concerns with the tightness and all that stuff Mm -hmm. in his legs and and like i remember we we were typing out like some graphics for the youtube channel that's when steve was running the video department here at pff and we were writing out strengths for nick bosa and then weaknesses it was like he's hurt like the injury that was all we had so i'm fine with going bosa here but i do remember that was a big reason why like maybe we were lower on him first and i will say
1: if you want to give the age thing so like bosa was junior Hutchinson senior when he broke out or had his big year Hutchinson will be only 2 months older than Nick Bosa when he's drafted. So, yes, a full class younger, but not that much actually older.
0: So, next is Chase Young versus Joey Bosa. Joey, Bosa. <sighs> Joey has to is it, uh, Joey was different, dude. I I don't know, but Chase, I don't know. That one's tough. That one this is a heavyweight. This is a heavyweight. Let me go back and look. Joey
1: Bosa. I'm trying to re, trying to refresh the memes here cuz Chase Young was Solid as a freshman, good as a sophomore, unreal as junior. Bosa, we only got a sophomore year, but was like, he was unreal as a sophomore. I yeah. mean, as a true sophomore, 928 snaps, 92.1 pass rushing grade. To, like, be that productive and have that high grade over that workload, which is just literally not coming off the field, is pretty insane. Now, there were the athleticism concerns. He ran a 486 coming out. He was not, he was not your prototypical. Don't put that on a quote graphic. I mean, he was not your prototypical <laughs> four six guy, but uh, this one's tough. Let's let's go to Chase Youngs. Chase Young now, so ninety two point one as a sophomore. I think ninety point four as a junior. Chase Young went ninety one point two as a sophomore, ninety six point four as a junior.
0: Yeah, I mean the grading was insane. The, I, I'm like, fine. I think you're, you're be splitting hairs at this point.
1: I think you'd be revisionist to not go Chase Young. Honestly, okay, let's do Just it with the grade he had that year. And then Nick Bosa versus Chase Young again, I think it'd be revisionist to not say Chase
0: Young. Chase Young is the generational edge prospect above the Bosa's, above the Garrett's, above the Hutchinsons. Very curious to see
1: how he does this upcoming season because his rookie year was eighty seven point one overall grade. Like it was as advertised. You know, like that was what we thought. We were like impact player right out the gate, turning into Hall of Fame caliber player three year three, year four impact player right out the gate then year two was not decidedly so and then white tore, tore his acl is that right mm-hmm. so damn still only 23 years old
0: um literally just turned 23 too so still young still ascending tbd off of the generational prospect bracket we now go to interviews with two of our guys in this draft class luke gadecki offensive line prospect coming out of central michigan and then also san diego state legend cameron thomas let's go ahead and get to those interviews Now joining the tailgate podcast is Central Michigan offensive tackle, Luke Gadecki. I am so excited to have you on, man. This is gonna be a fantastic show.
2: Yeah, yeah, thank you very much for having me on Austin. It's my pleasure.
0: Where I want to start, man, is let's wind back the clocks a little bit. You know, you're from Wisconsin. I think it's about 40 miles forty miles south of Green Bay. I'm sure you're a diehard Packers fan. Maybe some of your family members are shareholders as well. Um, I think that you don't, you're a huge basketball player in high school. You're also a really talented football player. I think you get hurt your senior year but still win, like, first team all conference honors, all this crazy stuff. You still don't have any offers, right? You're a no-star recruit coming out you make this decision to walk on at Stevens Point and you're the starting tight end for them by the end of that first season. What was that? What was going through your head at that point, right? You obviously wanted to still play football. You obviously still wanted to play sports, but what drew you to Stevens Point and what, you know, talk me through that specific decision to walk on, uh, you know, a few years ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always had aspirations of playing in the NFL. So thought I had to go to D1 school in order to make that, uh, make that dream come true. But like you said, I had, no recruiting process no star athlete like just had to find a way and was going to Stevens point for their chemical engineering and paper science program and was going to continue to play football there um so that's basically how i ended up there yeah
0: so at Stevens point, you have some success. You know, I think after that first season, you get a preferred walk-on opportunity from Wisconsin, hometown Wisconsin, that had to have been even surreal. right? Obviously, it's not a, a scholarship offer, but a preferred walk-on opportunity with the Badgers had to have really put you in a different position. But you ultimately make the decision to go to the Chips, fire up Chips. They give you a full ride to Central Michigan. You make that call, you go and play for them. Uh, did, how tempting was that offer from Wisconsin, right? knowing that you're from the state? Um, and I guess what ultimately kind of tipped the scales for you to choose the Chips?
2: Yeah I mean it was definitely uh definitely a very tough decision I mean like after my freshman year at Siemens Point I just made a cut up m- of myself and sent it out to both schools and like you said Wisconsin was like they're like I would have to pass enrollments so and then maybe I make the team and then Central I, I just asked both of them for a walk-on opportunity but Central ended up offering me a full scholarship but with that being said I literally sat on the decision for two weeks just being that diehard Badgers fan through and through, but just knowing the financial burden it would put on my family and everything, just knew uh, Central Michigan would have been the better pick for me long term.
0: Well, I think you made a great decision, right? I think the uh, Central Michigan is a phenomenal program. and You had a lot of success there over the course of your career. Where do you think your game has improved the most, right? I think when you were first being recruited to Central Michigan, it was a tight end opportunity, knowing that maybe you get kicked into offensive line, you play tackle there, you have success. Opposite of uh, another guy with a wild story, right? Bernard Ryman coming from Austria and his game improving too. You know, where would you say your game has gotten better the most, right? Where has it improved the most over the course of your career?
2: Uh, i would say um definitely i'm um, just continuing to improve at run blocking i mean as tight end as you know like you're still involved and I, myself i was heavily involved with run blocking so continue to improve on that but then obviously with the offensive line you have the nuance of pass protection you gotta go backwards while someone's running full full speed at you so i never had that exposure at tight end so just over the years kind of building that learning new nuances to it um, New techniques and everything and just continue to improve in that in that aspect. I mean definitely continue to improve and working on day by day trying to perfect my technique and craft.
0: What's been your process specifically in the film room? I think with offensive line, I've talked to different prospects coming out and they mentioned how much they watch their opponents, right? What pass rush moves does he use? Uh, you know, what's his first step like? How does he play the run? What's it like on third down versus first downs? When you're in the film room there at Central Michigan, what did you prioritize specifically in opponent film study? And I, I guess speak to philosophically what your approach was when you watched it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I like to go in and like the first – Few days of the week I'd really focus on first and second down, how he plays the run, how he plays the pass in first and second down. Obviously you can take more advantage and be more aggressive in your sets then. So just watch that and then took notes and then it'd be like Wednesday I'd kind of review those notes and kind of decompress a little bit and then Thursday and Friday I'd go to third down and watch uh watch what pass moves they do, watch what they did well, Watched uh, kind of what moves they didn't have and take notes again. And then that Friday night, I would, uh, I would look at my notes again. And I would just, so then I'd just have his first, second run and pass and then third down pass as well. So then just compartmentalize all that information. And then Saturday, and just learned learn what I needed to learn throughout the week. So I'm ready to go and can play fast. Love that
0: yeah I think you you do all the work in the leading up in the week leading up to the game so you don't think on Saturdays right you need to be reacting on Saturdays and obviously playing fast on Saturdays how about in the summer do you ever turn on tape of NFL guys are there NFL offensive linemen that you watch a lot of maybe even with Bernard and and look at some of the game that they have
2: yeah yeah definitely um I really like watching uh, like Braden Smith um I really like uh I mean, he's a shorter arm tackle in the league, but yet he still does a, he does, still does a heck of a job. And mm-hmm. still, uh, I mean, in pass protection, just watching uh, kind of his different technique he has to use compared to a long arm tackle. So I really enjoy watching him. Um, Zach Martin as well. I mean, I don't Uh, if you're a true. If, you're, if you truly love football, you got to definitely take a look at Zach Martin. I mean, it's just complete carnage. Every play, <laughs> there's someone on the ground. So I really like watching him. His run blocking is phenomenal. His pass blocking is, um, and then uh, every once in a while I'll turn on uh, some older tape from Joe Staley just because uh, I mean he's a former Chippewa, one of the best tackles to ever play the game. I mean he's a little uh, a little bit his arms are a little bit on the shorter side, but obviously was able to get the job done. So really like mm-hmm. watching him. I mean it was a phenomenal run blocker at the point of attack, so really like watching him
0: that that's phenomenal you brought up Braden Smith he's actually one of my favorite interviews that I've done I remember talking to him when he was coming out of Auburn and he was a guard and you know there weren't teams really talking about him playing tackle in the NFL and he gets this opportunity with the Indianapolis Colts being that short arm tackle I think he's the shortest arm tackle starting in the NFL and obviously is still having a lot of success coming off a big monster second contract that's great that you brought him up Um, what's your relationship like with Bernard I talked about him a little bit Uh, I've also talked to him a handful of times in this pre-draft process he seems like a super fun loving guy that just like loves Football. That's evident in him crossing the pond, right, to come play high school football, and then obviously pursue it at the collegiate ranks. What's he like in practice? What's he like off the field?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Bernard, he's my best friend on the team by far. I mean, I'll uh, I like to grill out, and so I have this little tiny Weber grill that I'll have him and his girlfriend <laughs> over from time to time, and we'll just grill, hang out, play games, watch a movie. I mean, such a friendly guy, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I remember my first time when I got to Central, uh, walked in the team meeting room, and he was the first first guy to introduce himself. He had a lot thicker Austrian accent <laughs> at first, so like, who the hell is this guy? Is, this, uh, is there Arnold Schwarzenegger in here? I had to turn around <laughs> and do a double take for a second. Oh man! Uh, but yeah, he's a uh, he's a great great friend of mine. Um, great player on and off the field. Really, uh, really a uh, student of the game. I mean. The countless hours me and him have put in together and off the field is, I mean, it just is a true testament, like of the tale, like what it takes to play at to be able to get an opportunity at this next level. You can't just do the bare minimum and expect to separate yourself from everyone else. So, we really took that upon ourselves, doing extra workouts daily, whether it be weightlifting or position drills. So, like you said, he's. All around great guy, fun loving guy. Like, you can't be being around Bernard.
0: I'm not surprised by that in the slightest. I think my read on him was exactly that. He is a super nice dude. That's awesome to hear you guys are so close. Uh, fast forward now to this mm-hmm. pre draft process. You have, you know, opportunity to go to the Senior Bowl, um, opportunity to go to the combine, but a hamstring injury A hamstring injury keeps you from, you know, participating in either of those events. You do, I think you still you know, took to the bench at the combine, but obviously weren't able to do any of the other drills. That had to have been such a it know, such a di- difficult or disappointing kind of part of the process right I'm sure you wanted to show out the senior bowl and dominate there I'm sure you wanted to show out the combine and show off your athleticism you know how have you kind of handled that through this process and you know how have you handled questions around that in this process
2: yeah yeah absolutely I mean yeah like you said I like when I got injured yeah I was absolutely devastating like just all over all the years, all the work I put in and this getting these once a life, lifetime opportunities uh, kind of per se taken away from me in that instance. Um, it's just devastating, like I said, but biggest takeaway is it's just some adversity at the end of the day. And in order to, in order to be strong through adversity, when you face it at the next level, you got to go through some stuff. So mm-hmm. just building me stronger, allowing me to come back stronger and stronger every day and just gotta be able to control what you can control. I mean, could either went one of two ways. I could have let it get me down and just like, been like, oh, wow, this sucks. But nope, came back every day, attacked rehab, continued doing whatever whatever I could do to get better and better each day.
0: Exactly how you have to respond, Luke. That's that's phenomenal to hear. How have these 30 visits gone? Have teams talked about where they want to play you in the NFL? I know there has been some discussion around playing right tackle, potentially being kicked inside the guard. You know, what have the, what have those conversations been like and how, how have those gone for you?
2: Yeah, yeah. Conversations have went very well with teams. Um, see me as a, as a tackle and then, if need be, can kick me in the guard. Um, just be a very versatile player. Uh, which is something I really pride myself on. I feel like I could, to be honest with you, play all five spots across the board at very high level.
0: Mm-hmm. Last thing for you, and then I'll let you go, Luke. I really appreciate the time. What exactly, I asked all the prospects this, what exactly is the NFL getting in Luke Gadecki, right? What What is this? What is the league getting on and off the field? Yeah,
2: I mean, on the field, they're just getting a determined guy with laser focus who plays with, a, with an extreme chip on his shoulder. I mean, where I'm from, this stuff doesn't happen. So I just really take that to heart and I, I'm a grinder. I love the grind. A lot of people say they love the grind, but when it's time to grind that they, they get scared. So that's really who I am. I mean, on the field, I'm a surly, I'm a mean guy. I play with a mean streak. I'm nasty out there. Like I'm looking to bury guys. I'm looking to put fear into another grown man's eyes. So that's really, I'm dependable. I mean, very loyal, coachable. Um, And then off the field, they're just getting an outgoing, fun-loving guy. I mean, love life, living it to the fullest, making the most of this opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, a childhood dream that's coming, coming to reality. So that's just who they're getting.
0: Hell yeah, man. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thanks again.
2: Yeah, thank you very much, Austin.
0: Now joining the tailgate podcast is San Diego state legend. I'm going to say legend, Cameron, Uh, Cameron Thomas. uh, I'm so excited to have you on the show.
3: Uh, Thanks for having me on.
0: We have to start everyone who listens to my podcast knows I'm a San Diego state guy as well. The big, the two best food places in the college area in San Diego, in my opinion, senior ponchos Trujillo's. Are you a senior ponchos guy or Trujillo's guy? And depending on which one, what's your go-to order?
3: Man, that's such a great question. Um, I'm gonna go with Trujillos on this one, and yes. it's a close call, it really is, because uh, those California burritos from, from Senior Ponchos, man, it's it's a close <laughs> call. But the re- the and I, the reason I say it is for the specific order, which is a the uh, crunch wrap there. Yes, uh, the Sigma Chi crunch wrap. Oh man, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Super, uh, man, it's super good, for, especially for people that don't know Mexican food, man. It's seriously, it's something else. It is
0: absolutely phenomenal. I live in Cincinnati now, and they don't have any any Mexican food like they have in San Diego. That Sigma Chi Crunchwrap keeps me up at night. It is a phenomenal piece. I know that was like Kawhi Leonard's go-to thing, too. He'd get like four at a time back when he was going to San Diego State. <laughs> so I'm glad you're on the Trujillo side of things. You already checked that box on the pre-draft process. I want to ask, you know, specifically about what what what's your brother's side with. I know you and your brother obviously play there at San Diego State. It's Zachary Thomas. And we talked a little bit – I talked a little bit with your brother – I think at the East West Shrine Bowl, and he mentioned that you guys would stay after practice every single day. You go work on one-on-ones. You have a really good relationship with him, and he's been a big part of, you know, kind of your upbringing and, and your football career. Talk about your relationship with your brother.
3: Yeah, so my brother, I'm very close to my brother, you know, and um, obviously, you know, my decision is to stay with him being there. You know, definitely uh, was a big influence with him being mm-hmm. there. Um, to answer your question, though, I think if he had to pick a side, I think he's also going to Trujillo's. Um, he kind of tell me the legends of the country before I even got to San Diego State. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely familiar uh, with Trujillo's too. But, um, yeah, if you don't have him at San Diego State with me while I was there, especially him being on the offensive side of the ball, uh, you know, being an offensive tackle, um, yeah, you know, I think it really helped to um, become also the player who I am today. Yeah, You know, being yeah. able to uh, – you know, be able to go against somebody you know you're very comfortable with and just get reps after reps after reps just helping one each uh, one another just uh no I was very lucky to be able to have that and um you know very just blessed. Talking to
0: him too at the East-West Shrine Bowl, he spoke so highly of you, right? And I know you're the younger brother of the two, and he just thinks that you thinks the world of you, man. So it's great to hear about how how close you guys are on and off the field. And I love that he's also a true guy. You guys can't miss right now. The Thomas family is is just undefeated. Um, Going back to your San Diego State days, and I want to talk to about the pre-draft process and how that has gone for you, but. Something I find interesting about your tape and kind of how they played you is you played a lot inside, you played some outside. You were a very inside-outside versatile player. Is there a specific position that, you know, I guess, no, before we get into that, why do you think, you know, San Diego State wanted to use you up and down the line of scrimmage? Is that something you push for? Is that what the coaching staff pushed for? I guess speak to why they deployed you the way they did.
3: Uh, Yeah, so um, when I got into San Diego State, you know, I only weighed about 230 pounds. (laughs) I uh, I ended up registering my freshman year. you know, to put on a few few pounds. And I remember going into that uh, my first spring camp, which was in the 2019 spring camp, um, while I was a redshirt freshman, and going in at least going into my redshirt freshman year, and uh, I didn't win the starting end lineup. Um There was two defensive ends that were uh, had some complaint time on, on top of me. Uh, one was a senior, one already had a lot of uh, playing experience, and um, yeah, I didn't make the cuts. And and I had I had a one-on-one meeting with my coach, and uh, I just remember asking him, you know. You know there's still spot open in the middle There, like what's mm-hmm. up with that and he uh he went ahead and gave me the shot and I, wow. I went and played my uh my first year as a nose tackle i weighed about 245 pounds <laughs> i had so much i had so much fun doing it and um yeah so obviously with and i i went into my sophomore year also playing nose tackle towards the end of the season i made my transition to end but um yeah just experience um that i had in there you know that definitely um you want to go back to back back out to end Uh, There's still a lot of mismatches, you know, going throughout the season where it's like, you know, we have them here at end, but we could also, you know, we could also stick them in here for some packages and really just kind of throughout the scheme of offenses, you know, they really got to, you know, kind of, you know, block that a little differently, you know. Um, So definitely we kind of just use that to our advantages here. Um, Going
0: back a little bit to the recruiting process, obviously, you go to San Diego State, your, your brothers there, the familiarity, but w- what were the other schools that they were interested in you and, and were there different positions they wanted you to play at, right? Obviously, at 230 pounds, I'm sure some teams thought about off-ball linebacker or different positions. What was your recruiting process like? What schools were interested in and where they want to play you? Um, yes,
3: yeah, so the, the recruiting process for me. So my junior year, I really wasn't highly recruited. Um it wasn't really that highly recruited going on in my junior year. I had uh, Wyoming Navy were my only two offers. Uh, I went to a San Diego State camp after my junior year, like in the summer, before going into my senior season. I uh, went there, went to camp. They offered me uh, about a week after. And I basically came in on the spot. Uh, I mean, I knew San Diego State was the place I wanted to be. Um, you know, obviously, my brother there, the good <laughs> weather. But uh, I knew their defenses, you know, played with their hair and fire. And then on top of it, they won games. Uh, very hard to pass that up however after my senior year is really when i started to get my recruiting picked up mm-hmm. i mean right after my my um my uh senior season i got uh oregon state um what's it called uh washington state reached out and uh did nebraska so i mean but at that point i was very firm in my mm-hmm. uh decision in san diego state and i stuck with it And i'm very happy i did
0: yeah, I mean, I'm happy you did as well. Obviously, as a San Diego State Aztec and a San Diego State fan, it's been fun to watch you over the last few years. Um, you know, in at San Diego State, I'd love to hear about you know specifically for defensive linemen, just how they approach tape and film study going into games. I think it's a chess match within it's a game within a game as a defensive lineman, right? You have to watch the opponent offensive tackle, the opponent guard, and and see how they set to set up moves and those different things. When you're watching tape on an opponent in a given game week, what's that process like in the week, and and what specifically do you look for?
3: Yeah, so preparation is a huge deal for me. Uh, say we're coming off a win on, or sa- on Saturday, um, you know, before I, it's like impossible for me to go to bed without watching the game film. So I'd always try to steal one of the iPads from one of our coaches watch the film. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, going in that next day, that Sunday, you know, probably get a little bit of recovery and some like recovery pumps or whatever it was and um, go right back upstairs. I'd probably take my final notes on that game for that week and then I'm, I'm moving into the next week and. Um, typically on Sundays, I at least, I at least like to like memorize our numbers. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. I, I was that detailed. Um, and then, you know, just getting a little bit of an idea of who I was going against, uh, comes around Monday. Um, I usually start with just a blank piece of paper and I would like to, you know, kind of just go from left guard to right guard, um, tight end, running back, quarterback. And I like to just, you know, start jotting notes down. And this mm-hmm. would so I'd, same thing with practice. I Monday Mondays. I go up. Couldn't go to bed without watching practice. I'd watch practice and I'd start getting my film study. And um, I would just fill out from seriously top to bottom. Like, for if I was looking at tackle, you know, I'm going to look at – first, I'm going to look at, you know, is he getting off the ball on the cadence or is he getting off the ball like, – like, is he getting off by himself? Like, he's timing up the canes in his head or is he going off the quarterback's cadence? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I look at, like, is he – is he angling his foot different on um, – a run pass is he a uh, higher low puncher and, and, and pass pro? Is he, you know, as you play high in the run? I mean, I really just try to dissect them. And even like, I even look at his eyes, you know, like I like to see is he is his eyes giving anything away, just a little stuff, um, like that. And I had to go all the way across the line, even like, like, like you said, I played all over the line. I even look at the centers, can they have a snap, a good snap step? Um, you know, I mean, everything, uh, that's kind of the interior part. I even look at like the quarterbacks. I look if they're like, seriously, if they're a Cadence quarterback and they're. A verbal or if they're a clapping quarterback. Yeah. Um, I really like to. I just like to dissect these things, and after that, it's formations and uh, my favorite plays I made this year are the ones that you see on the tape, and uh, when you're on the field and you see them on tape, and then you know, and you make a play out of that. Those are my favorite plays. Um, so I like to break apart like yeah, usually like formations and uh, stuff from that there. But um, preparation is a huge deal for me.
0: Hearing you say that, it, it sounds like it's such a high priority for you. Do you feel it's a difference maker among other, you know, defensive lineman edge prospects in this class?
3: Absolutely. guess like I said, yeah, well, there's, when I find a couple plays out on film that I take to the field, that's just like, you know, I, I just getting a jump on, even on the offense, you know? Yeah. I know what the offensive lineman is doing. You know, they definitely, uh, I definitely take that to my advantage.
0: Fast forward now to this pre-draft process. You've been battling, I believe, a hamstring injury. It kept you from you know, participating in the senior bowl. It, it slowed you down at the combine, but you were able to participate at your pro day. How has that recovery process been? And I'm sure I'm sure it's been really frustrating, right? I've talked to other guys that have had you know, na- you know, nagging injuries in the pre-draft process, and it's limited them from some of the opportunities they want to take advantage of. You know, how have you handled some of that frustration? And I guess, how healthy are you now?
3: Um, yeah. So uh, first off, I like to think San Diego State. You know, I wasn't able to. I was still. I wasn't ready yet on um, March 22nd when they when they held our, our team pro day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they really they gave me another shot, and I really appreciate everything they've done for me. Um, but yeah, you know, it's definitely. Um, I'm not really. I want to knock on over when I say this, but you know, I've been very blessed, and I, I and I'm not really used to being injured, so it's kind of been a. Um, it's been different, you know. It, it's definitely been a little bit different than this process, but, you know, I'm just keep my chin up every day, I just keep working on it. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited to, to, you know, participate in a rookie mini camp, you know.
0: How have the team interviews gone? I know you've met with some teams, whether that's at the senior bowl or, or other parts of this pre draft process. What are those conversations like? You know, what do they highlight as your strengths and, and where they think you can improve?
3: Um, yeah, you know, those have been great. You know, I really, I really have been enjoying those. And, you know, um, yeah, it, it's just it's just really cool. Like, man, I'm really talking to all these scenes, you know. That's something, you know, when you're like your little kid, you'd never imagine. It's been a great process, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, they definitely something that definitely sticks out to a lot of these, um these a lot of these coaches and stuff is definitely my my motor. And that's something that you know really makes me happy to hear because that's something I really like tend to tend to um you know emphasize when I play. So uh that was really nice to hear.
0: What do you, you know, what do you think is your biggest goal going into the NFL? I always ask a lot of players that, right? What do you, what are your expectations for yourself? And what are you hoping to set as goals in your first season in the NFL?
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, San Diego State, they went 12 and two this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, one of those losses was a championship loss. Um, So that's what I want to do. I want to win a Super Bowl. That's something, you know, even my first year, like that is like, that is my goal. I really want to go in there and win a Super Bowl, Um, you know, as a, um, I guess as a, as a player, you know, I definitely just want to go in there and contribute to any team, and um, yeah,
0: that's awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time. I'll let you know this: if you don't get drafted into you know L.A. or whatever, the, the the Mexican food is probably at its peak there in San Diego. Eat as much of it as you can before you go on to the NFL, Cameron. This has been fantastic, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward.
3: Thank you. I really appreciate you for having me on.